Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Paddy Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? You said that really slow, and I don't know if you're trying to be dramatic or something. I thought you were having a stroke, to be honest. Um, I am actually fantastic. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in London. Um, yeah, I have nothing really to add to that. Life is still good. The last podcast we recorded was only like two or three days ago, so I don't really have a huge amount to update, even though this will be coming out a week or so from when uh, everyone else heard the last one. What's the story with you, Gary? I presume placement is still going good, well, you're enjoying yourself, etc. It's fucking rain and I'm tired, but we're playing soccer tonight, so that's going to be fun. Nothing else to add. Fantastic. So let's get stuck in to this podcast. Um, this is a, it's kind of a more, I don't know if you'd call it theoretical. It's very practical as well, I suppose. Um, but this podcast is basically on like, what's the difference in terms of how we would organize things if we had different goals, right? And we're going to just pick some, you know, relatively common goals that people have. Um, and the goals we're going to effectively pick are, we'll call it, you know, strength sports in terms of like powerlifting, Olympic lifting is a little bit different. We'll just call it powerlifting for now because that's the one that's most readily done, most accessible to the vast majority of people. So like powerlifting, how would you train, change training for powerlifting versus something like perhaps bodybuilding, which is, you know, you're trying to build muscle, which is kind of a side effect from training. It's not necessarily the main effect, right? Versus we'll call it a sports specific, even though obviously powerlifting and bodybuilding can, and you know, quite often do like involve a sport and, um, People obviously do that stuff like bodybuilds, recreationally, powerlift, recreationally, um, but sports as well. And that includes like a vast ar- array of different sports, like, it, you know, could be field sports, could be like martial arts, like we do, like, how do you train for that versus training for general health, you know, or general just know betterment and and then we could suppose we could throw in with bodybuilding we could just throw in like physique improvement in general like you might not want to be a bodybuilder but you just want to improve your muscle mass versus improve or and then also improve your body composition in terms of the amount of body fat that you have right so even just here you can already see that there's a vast like array of goals that we could potentially have like even just a general you know average everyday person you know general population if you will they can have a vast array of goals so even though we've just done this whole training series like obviously things change depending on the goal depending on what you're actually looking to achieve and we're not going to obviously cover every single nuance here we're not going to be like oh well this is exactly how you train for a powerlifter this is exactly how you train for a bodybuilder like that's going to be impossible however we can discuss some overarching uh, thought processes and theories um, about how you might go about changing your training if you have a certain goal so do you have anything to say on that gary initially before we get stuck into this no, I think we I think we can move in. I think I can get us started because I just want to make a quick transition point, and that is that the first, but before considering the actual training principles um, and how they might change for someone who's focused on health versus performance or body composition outcomes, the the first thing is actually the intention, and this is something that that I think a lot of people miss because you'll often hear people say that you know there's a huge difference between training for health and training for performance. Um, you know, they'll say there's a phrase, turn of phrase that, you know, where sports starts, health ends. And it's true to some degree, like a lot of people will make certain health trade-offs, but most people who are training for body composition or performance outside of very competitive sports, particularly martial arts and, you know, some other heavy contact sports, they're not willing to accept that much of a trade-off for their performance, you know? Um, like for example, the most people who compete in, let's say bodybuilding, they still have some degree of intention to um, preserve their health. Like they're not going all out. Otherwise you would just use all of the drugs in the world, you know, and you wouldn't care what it did to your liver 
or you know how you felt each day or how short a breath you were uh, you wouldn't worry about the quality of your diet necessarily you just focus on whatever allowed you to you know get bigger and stronger over time and eventually then obviously lose body fat now a counter argument to that might be that well that's them preserving their health is only to serve the fact that you know it allows them to achieve their goals and it's that's true to some degree some people just don't really have the intention to preserve their health along the way but i think most people do and we all fit somewhere on that spectrum and that's kind of the key just, point. Just on that like you're obviously going to find outliers you're obviously going to find yeah. people that are like oh i literally could not care less give me all of the drugs give me all of the hard training give me it's excess upon excess upon excess but you can find those people in the general population who aren't training like think about you know mates that you know that go heavy on the drink you know or heavy on just recreational drugs like you can find people that are you know just they just don't care about their overall health or even just people that you know through completely their own fault and i'm not talking about people that like it's like their environment and other things like people that have access to all of the resources have the knowledge whatever and then still allow themselves to get into a really unhealthy uh, obese position perhaps you know and um, like for those like people in general like if you have access to the knowledge you are making a willing risk to reward ratio and you go i actually just don't care about the risk all i care about is the reward whatever that reward is like you're going to find those people throughout society but we can't necessarily allow the outliers the outliers of the outliers dictate how we view the general population even within these you know subpopulations 100% and this is kind of an overarching theme that um permeates into many different facets of life beyond just training you know for example like some degree of work and being financially stable and having a purposeful job etc is going to be beneficial for your health, okay? But there's obviously a point at which health trade-offs um, start to become a consideration. If you're working 80, 90, 100 hours a week, you're not sleeping enough, your relationships are um, not being nourished, you're letting the quality of your diet go, your sleep is obviously quite poor, you're super stressed. There's going to be trade-offs in health there. And you st- you, you, the question you ask yourself is, how, how, how much of a trade-off am I willing Uh, to accept and this is absolutely the same with regards to training nutrition and your overall approach so that's kind of the first thing that i just want you to think about when you're considering how you plan your training and how you plan your nutrition is what's my intention what's my genuine intention here because a lot of people who will claim that they're doing things solely for health they don't actually embody that when you look at what they're doing you know for example people might say oh i'm just trying to be healthy and they're staying far too lean for them to be able to maintain a good relationship with food or um, good psychosocial well-being. Um, so although they might look healthy on the outside, what they're doing might necessarily be so helpful. And then on the other side of things, you might have people who are pretty much solely performance oriented, but it, pretty much everything they do is absolutely helpful. You know, they're, let's say, competing in a team sport where they've got a solid sense of community um they don't work too much because they want to be able to compete well in their sports so they've got plenty of downtime as well they're sleeping a lot because they want to perform well they're eating really well because they want to perform well and they're managing their overall level of, of fatigue or training load because they want to perform well and recover from training so overall they're actually doing something that's pretty much close to 100 percent healthful despite the fact that that's not their intention at all. So I think, I think first and foremost, consider your intention and then we can move forward from there. Yeah. And this is also like the whole discussion, especially when we're talking about sports versus health, like the thing that mixes a lot of the research on it. And I mean, both anecdotal research and the, the actual literature on this is that oftentimes a lot of these athletes that we'd be like, Oh, well, clearly they have, you know, ill health as a result of, their sport or whatever it's really because of the drugs that were used in that sport right and that's like permeates throughout like a recreational sport all the way up to the top level you know so when you see studies and it's like well athletes have a lower life expectancy because of this disease or this disease or whatever like you have to factor in that 
it's probably likely that 90% of those people were on drugs because quite a lot of people, like we're in the industry, like the health and fitness world, we see it all the time. Like we've interacted with, you know, individuals that are on drugs or individuals that you'd be like, okay, that person's not on drugs. And then you come to find out, you're like, okay, you are actually on drugs. Cause I'm sorry to have to tell everyone listening to this and I'm hopefully you're already aware of it, but all of the, the Olympians that you follow, are on drugs maybe not all of them but the vast majority of them are on drugs we all like to think like oh they're you know the americans for example put themselves as like a bastion of like oh well we care we have like a, we follow the olympic you know rules on drugs and whatever else and um, but you know look at all the medical exemptions for drugs that are clearly performance enhancing drugs you know i'm like yeah okay cool you can talk about medical exemptions but this was also the story in like the ufc previously where we had this uh like testosterone uh, replacement therapy like a uh, medical exemption from and you're like oh yeah cool and everyone was clearly juicing to the fucking gills so while they might not be using the same drugs as other athletes who you know are not uh, adhering to WADA or you know the Olympic Committee or whatever else, they're still using drugs. They're still using performance enhancing drugs to some extent. And with any drug, especially if you abuse it to whatever extent you abuse it, there are side effects. You know, it's not like there's a biological free lunch where you just go, oh, I take this drug and I abuse it and there's no ill effects from that. You know, like that's very rare. That's going to be the case with any drug like, or any nutrient or anything you put in your body. Like you can abuse water, right? So that does confuse the matter because you might be a recreational athlete engaging in whatever sport and you might be really concerned about your health. And as a result, you put a less of a priority on your sport because you're like, Oh, well, look, everyone in that sport dies young because of X disease, heart disease or fucking whatever. But you have to factor in that you're not actually doing that. Everyone that died young from that was actually doing you're not doing these crazy high training volumes you're not doing these drugs you're not doing xyz whatever it is right so we do have to look at okay we have some like you know population data we'll call it but we also have to look at you as the individual like what are you actually doing which obviously makes this a lot harder of a discussion because once we start looking at the individual basis like you might have specific you know genetic polymorphisms that predispose you to certain diseases more than another or you might have certain genetic polymorphisms that because you are engaging in this sport, it's actually protective against these different diseases. Like you might have, you know, uh, genetic reasons for having like higher risk of heart disease or arterial calcification or whatever. And because you're an endurance athlete, you weren't actually sick as a result of that, you know, because even though you see like um, athletes have like higher calcification, but it's not pathogenic, right? So, or as pathogenic, I should say. And um, so like you might be doing things that are actually making you healthier, even though you're engaging in your sport. And we haven't even discussed like the injury aspect of things because obviously that does also impact on your sport or impact on your view of health versus, you know, whatever. But the thing about that is it's actually a really hard discussion to have because if you don't like say what's the two interventions here we engage in some sort of activities or we don't engage in some sort of activities if you engage in activities you put yourself at a higher risk of injury because you're doing stuff but if you don't engage in activities then you put yourself at a higher risk at a later date because you don't have enough muscle mass you don't have enough uh, bone strength whatever so it's like what's the risk to reward here now obviously there comes a like a flipping point where you know you're doing so much activity in your youth that your risk of injury is just higher or you're doing certain activities where your risk of injury is just higher and it's not actually leading to a better outcome later in life so obviously there is a flipping point there is a point where you know you get diminished returns so we do have to discuss that as well and we will later on in this episode but anyway gary any thoughts further to that? Because I think, again, like getting the intentions right, but also understanding the reality of the situation uh, in front of you, you know, it has to be done before we actually dig into this stuff. Yeah, and I actually think this is a really interesting part of the conversation that, you know, is, is a bit tangential, but but important nonetheless. And that is, you know, you do see a lot of um, health trade-offs in elite level sport. And some of those that may not seem immediately relevant to the listener would be things like, for example, you see a lot of athletes upon retirement who will have issues with addiction and various other um, types of maladaptive behaviors, you could say, whether it be, you know, gambling or alcohol or 
drugs, etc. Um, and and I think there's there's a couple of interesting components there. One being um, the attempt to fill a void to some degree, and that's kind of the question of like what what does what role does sport or training or whatever play in your life? Like, is it occupying too much of a hole in your chest so that if you ever need to take a break from training, that that's actually going to be severely uh, harmful for your health? Because we do see that um, quite a bit, even among some clients that sign up where. We actually have to try to get them to, you know, question their own identity, I guess, and ask themselves, you know, what 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 other things compose your sense of identity or sense of self other than fat loss, you know, or dieting or, or being the meal prepper, because sometimes uh, that that can actually be pathological. And I think you, you see that to the extreme in in athletes when they retire and they have to fill the void with with something else or they have to get their thrills um or their dopamine rush from other types of activities and there's also the fact that you know people make a lot of money in sport and they get a lot of praise and social notoriety that again affords them opportunities that maybe other people uh, wouldn't necessarily have so there's all these additional barriers um to this the sustenance of health um later in life but some of them those that would be relevant as well for i guess now would be like, for example, I think both myself and, and yourself, Paddy, like I, I definitely put myself into the category of someone who's like probably like definitely a, a risky personality. Like I wouldn't be risk averse. You know, if there was if someone said, you know, do you think you could jump off the house and land on your feet and roll? Or whatever, okay. I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try it. You know, just stupid. You know, someone else might call it. But that that's how I always was um, growing up. And I think even now that like different types of, of activities um, kind of fulfill that to some degree. Like I think jujitsu and grappling fulfills that to some degree. Like there's certain element of, of thrill in some of the more dangerous moments. Like, and obviously that can be fulfilled in many other ways too, but you, you, you ask yourself, you know, is that a, that's not necessarily a healthful um, personality trait. Well, it could be in some cases, but it might be one of the reasons that you partake in a given sport. You know, for example, some people um, might partake in, I don't know, downhill skiing or ski jumping or something mad like that. Like you have to be paragliding. paragliding. Yeah. You have to be a bit of an adrenaline junkie to do that stuff. And while there may again be health promoting uh, parts of that, um, you know, there's obviously the potential for huge harm there too. And that like, that's, that's one of the things is that, sometimes sport isn't necessarily just gradually degrading your health, but you might accept a, a massive risk of real huge downside in, a, in an extreme event, such as in grappling or wrestling or something that you get slammed in your neck. And now that's it. You're quadriplegic or you just die on the spot. And that's it. Like super rare events, like very unlikely. It's like in soccer when you get or field sports in general, some people have sudden cardiac death like these things can happen and sports can increase your risk of them, but it's, it's so, so rare, you know? So yeah, I mean, bit of a tangent, but, but all very relevant to the, the discussion of health. Yeah. And just on that, just on more of the stuff you were talking about beyond just looking at like, you know, the exercise component or whatever, like the social component of sports, like people forget how much of a, a thing that actually is, you know, like, for example, like obviously moved country, right? And I'm just joined a new Gracie Baja, uh, Gracie Baja Oval um, in London. And uh, like already, like, you know, you're making friends, you're talking to people. But like, just imagine I didn't do that. Like the only other activity that I really do outside of, you know, working is, you know, going to the gym. And like, you know, you don't really see the same people in the gym always, you know, especially in like London, bigger gyms or like, you know, more like I'm in a kind of a, at the gym group which is more like a fly fit back home where it's like you know you're not really seeing the same people it's just kind of like a cheaper gym and so you're not really building a huge connection with people there so if I, that was me and i didn't have sport like i'm not going to make any new friends you know you know i might along the way talk to people in cafes or whatever like i'm a you know relatively sociable person and um, but um you know, I'm not going to have the ability to make friends because I'm not engaging in a social outlet if I don't do sports, you know? So if you take that away and say, for example, like I came over here injured and, you know, I just wasn't able to engage in any of these things, like I would literally just be sitting in my apartment, you know? So we have to remember that. And especially again, when we talk about like after sport, like what are you going to do to fill that 
you know, void. That was one of the reasons I picked up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I was like, I missed the other sports that I used to do. And like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like you can do that into your old age. You know, it's not like, like you can change your game depending on what you want to do so that you can do it when you're like 90, you know? Um, so we have to take that into account when we're talking about overall health because social determinants of health and like social whatever you want to call it um, just talking to people like that plays a huge 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 role in your actual liveliness you know your health in general so we can't just forget about it right but anyway look with all that out of the way let's actually get stuck into this because i want you to understand at the end of this like how you would potentially think about you know the different ways you would you know maybe program for these different activities depending on the goal so let's just take the example of something like uh powerlifting right with powerlifting or any kind of strength sports you have to do more sports specific work right like you have three lifts to do in powerlifting right and if you want to listen to more about this you can go back and listen to the podcast gary did with shane our other coach right and um, so you have to do those three specific moves like if you're not doing them like you're not necessarily going to get better at those moves because you know lifting is a skill you have to do those exercises to get better at those exercises and while there is crossover and carryover from other movements like it is specific you know you have to have a high degree of specificity right so you have to do those moves if you were to compare something like bodybuilding to powerlifting like with bodybuilding or body composition change in general you don't have to do any exercise well you have to do some exercise but no actual exercise individually is a requirement right like you don't have to squat bench deadlift do any of those movements you can do other movements because you're looking for a side effect of training which is the enlargement of your muscles and then potentially some sort of caloric burn as well to help with fat loss etc right um but you could do any exercise that you really wanted you don't need to do specific exercises as a result right so already we're starting to see differences so if you are a powerlifter or you are someone that wants to get good at certain movements you're going to have to do those movements, right? Whereas if you're just looking for the outcome of building bigger muscles, what you're going to be looking for is the best exercises to build those muscles. And like, I would argue that a squat is not the best way to build your legs, right? I would argue that a bench press, not the best way to build your chest, a deadlift, like it's not the best way to build anything in general, right? Does that mean that those exercises are bad? No, they're fantastic exercises. They build like all round strength, especially if you're you know built to do them or can do them in a safe way. However, if I'm just looking to change my body composition, there's no necessity to do those exercises. Perhaps for me, an incline bench would do much better. Perhaps for me, like a plate loaded chest press would do much better. Perhaps for me, like a machine chest press would do much better. Like we have to look into that kind of stuff and go, well, what's the best exercise for you, given your structure, given your limitations, given you know, what you have going on. So if we are looking at it from that perspective of like, okay, powerlifting versus bodybuilding or body composition change, there's already starting to be differences because if we're trying to program that, for powerlifting, we need to do these certain exercises. For bodybuilding, we don't really need to do any exercises specifically. And then if we contrast that with something like, you know, a field sport or like a martial art, that falls more in the category of the bodybuilding where you don't need to necessarily do any specific exercises. There potentially are going to be certain exercises that correlate more strongly with your sport. But the reason they correlate more strongly with your sport is because they work similar movements. And if you get strong at those movements, you're going to have an easier time in your sport. For example, if you're doing like grappling, the two of us know, uh, like, if you're doing, uh, I don't know, like a bent over row, you're really strong at bent over row, you're really strong at something like a chin-up, you're probably going to have an easier time at grappling, you know? So we could say like a bent over row and a chin-up are required exercises for grappling, but all that really is required for grappling is to be strong at pulling, having those musculature that is, you know, pull musculature, if you will, you know, forearms, biceps, back, upper back, whatever, like you want to have them strong and you can do that very effectively through something like a bent over row and a chin up. But perhaps you're not able to do a chin up. Does that mean that a lap pull down or something is going to be an ineffective exercise or an ineffective exercise? Well, fuck no. Of course, it's going to be an effective exercise because it's strengthening those same muscle groups, right? So if we're looking at a sporting context, it's more akin to the bodybuilding context because we're looking to target certain muscles rather than, and even though you know, we are trying to target certain movements, the actual movements themselves are not fixed it doesn't have to be a certain movement it's not like you're trying to compete in the chin up right which is a sport as well and um, but then how does that contrast to you know general health 
Well, again, that kind of falls more in the realm of this bodybuilding where you don't have to look at any particular movements themselves. You just want to do movements that, you know, target the muscles you want to work, target the movements you want to work. You're able to do in a safe, effective manner and that you're able to slowly progress over time. But there is no singular, oh, you must do this one exercise, right? So that kind of brings me, and I suppose there's other activities, other sports we could talk about, such as like CrossFit or like cross training or whatever you want to call it. Like you don't have to be good at any specific exercises. However, if you know you're going to have a competition and there's certain exercises that are going to come up, it behooves you to train those exercises. Like if you have to do a rope climb or something and you've never climbed the rope, like, well, yeah, you can chin up all day. You can do whatever all day, get strong in the same muscles. Like it does have a high degree of carryover, but you still need to practice the actual skill of what you're going to engage in, you know? So that's the first thing you want to cover. If there are specific demands of your sport that you can kind of replicate in the gym, like in terms of like, your sport is powerlifting or Olympic lifting or any of those kind of strength sports, which are also training activities, you're going to need to do those same things in the gym. Everyone else, you can kind of pick and choose. You can do whatever fuck you want as long as it achieves the actual outcome. Would you agree with that, Gary, in terms of you know, movement selection? Yes, I would. And I think that not enough people actually realize that. And as a result, probably get more injured than they need to. <laughs> and shit results. Yes, and shitter results, uh, because like th- that's like that's ultimately what happens when you start to develop, um, I guess, an excessive attachment to a certain movement, and you're never willing to take that out of your training. Then, despite there being signals that you should take it out, such as pain in your elbows or your back or your knees or whatever, you just kind of persist and you keep pushing through it and pushing through it and pushing through it. And it gets to the point where, you know, you now have to do like 10 to 15 warm up sets to even feel like your knees are ready to squat and, you know, body weight squats hurt you. But once you kind of pop your knee wraps on and you do all your warm ups, you now feel okay, even though, you know, it's going to be sore after. And people keep plowing on like that because they don't have that same attachment to the leg press or the leg extension or even a pause front squat or some other variation. And as you begin to, you know, continue pushing down that road, you might be doing something on paper that I would recommend to another individual as being very helpful. But in your case, because of what you're experiencing as a result of what you're doing and the long-term trajectory of that, it's no longer no longer helpful for you and maybe you're aggravating an old meniscal injury or tendinopathy or whatever it happens to be but those things the longer you let them go um without dealing with them the more likely they are to kind of maintain their 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 chronic nature and to stick with you over time you know you see this all the time in older powerlifters um you know who They'll be able to do their sets after loads of warm-ups, but they can't handle the amount of volume they could do once upon a time. They don't really go near the one rep max anymore because their joints are just in bits from just hammering the same exercises all the time, same ranges of motion, always pushing to failure, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just the exercises. It's also the specifics of the programming, um, such as, you know, for example, always working up to your max and training to failure. And that can be something that's embedded within certain subcultures of bodybuilding and powerlifting or certain approaches to training in some co- CrossFit gyms, etc. And that, that, I guess, is something that goes beyond just the exercise selection or specific programming variables, because considering the overall culture of the, the, the fitness subculture you're in is actually something that really determines the healthfulness too. You see this in... Um, martial arts gyms are the best example of this because you go to some um boxing gyms and muay thai gyms in in particular or some mma gyms as well what you'll have is that you'll have some people who have the mindset that you should spar hard all the time and you have people there that are getting their head battered off them every single training night and they're going home with their ears ringing headaches their memories getting fuzzy and that is just a one-way street to issues with cognitive function later on and memory later on and personality later on, 
you know, that's Dude, what's wrong with Patty. Youth, yeah. Yes, that's what's wrong with Patty. But you'll you'll you do have some gyms like that. And there's a case of survivorship bias there where some people do really well with that approach, but you don't see all the people that quit along the way because of the issues that they they encountered or just the fact that it wasn't sustainable for them. And you'll have other gyms that you know are about getting people in the door um maybe not as competitive but they're just saying right you know we want you we want many different people to be able to partake in martial arts and we're not necessarily trying to push people to the absolute maximum level but we want people to be able to look after themselves you know and we don't we spar hard maybe once a month but other than that we kind of keep it light or whatever you know some gyms are like that and that can be a lot more helpful despite the fact that you're doing the same activities on paper so to speak so that's really important because that's something we see so often in the uh, kind of bodybuilding slash powerlifting world too, where you see guys who are going into the gym and hammering like five sets, five on squats to failure every session um, and just not listening to their body at all, not gauging RPE or anything like that, but more importantly, not listening to the fact that their back is aching heading into the session or their knees are aching heading into the session. And again, you see the survivorship bias there where some people come out the other end of those programs. For example, um, small ab squat program is a great example of that. Some people come out with fantastic results, but you don't see all the people that were just left crippled <laughs> as a result of it along the way. So um, really important to consider that subculture of where you're getting uh, your information or your programs or, or your, your memes to, in some sense. Yeah. Um, like I suppose that brings on to which is the next point, which is intensity. So that's what you've been discussing. It's kind of like what's the intensity at? Okay, so exercise selection or activities or whatever, like there's differences in terms of how you would program things, how you would select things depending on your goal. But the intensity level, like for most people recreationally, like you probably don't need to go to the absolute death with your workout program. Like you don't need to go to failure. You don't need to go to failure to get results full stop, right? Obviously it helps to know where failure is, which means that you have to, you know, approach that at the very least, get within a rep of that, the very least at some stage. So you know what that's like. Um, but for the vast majority of people, you don't actually need to go to failure per se. For the vast majority of people, you're probably going to be working and getting the best results at kind of you know two to three reps from failure for the majority of your sets. And say you're doing three sets um, of an exercise, maybe that last set, you know, you've got one le- one rep left in the tank. But those first one to two sets, you're probably doing two to three reps left in the tank, right? Like you're not going like gun to your head. Can you get a fucking another rep, right? You're not going all out, right? And um, now. If you are doing a sporting activity and you're trying to use, um, you know, lifting, training, whatever, to increase your um, either your total in like powerlifting or just increase your training capacity, and especially if you do have a very limited window, like say for example you have an off season, your off season is like twelve weeks long. There's going to be times during that time period where you have to get closer to failure, right? If you are you know powerlifting and you never get you never lift limit weights. You never get up to heavier weights because you're always kind of like, oh, I want to leave some in the tank. At a certain point, you kind of have to see how hard you can rally the car. You can't just leave you know, gas in the tank, right? Um, so that's a little bit of a difference between someone that's just training for general health, general improvement versus someone who's training for a sporting improvement. And that's not always the case. For example, martial arts, I don't really see a need for you to, you know, be maxing out or getting your volume up, which we'll talk about in a second, getting your volume up to really, really high levels, because it's probably only going to detract from your actual like martial art training um, because you're going to be fatigued. And that's probably the biggest, you know, thing that you need is the skill acquisition versus like the physical attributes. Like, yeah, okay, if you're very, very weak, uh, and you are just you know, losing matches or whatever because you don't have the physical strength or the physical like capacity or whatever. Like, yeah, we probably need to focus more on the physical stuff. But for the vast majority of people, it's going to be the technical stuff that they need to focus on. So I don't really see the need to be going to the absolute highest intensity, the highest volumes, et cetera, in those individuals. However, if you are you know, trying to peak for a powerlifting meet, like we probably do want to build up intensity over time. We probably do want to know what at least, uh, you know, uh, the first rep you're going to do, maybe the second attempt, we probably do want to know what those are going to be. So we probably want to have, you know, lifted close to that or somewhere around that at some stage throughout the training block, right? And it's the same um, with stuff like, you know, bodybuilding. That's a little bit more evident with the volume discussion, which we'll talk about in a second. 
But even with intensity, like at some stages, you probably do want to get a little bit closer to failure, you know, like you need to kind of push the envelope if you are trying to, you know, build your physique to the absolute biggest you can be. So that is a little bit of a difference than someone that's just training for general health, general improvements, right? If you are training to be the best at your sport, you probably do need to, and especially if your sport is like a strength sport or whatever, you probably do need to occasionally go to those higher intensity levels. And I don't just mean percentage of one RM, I mean like proximity to failure, right? Um, but if you're just a general you know, enthusiast, you probably don't need to go there as often. And um, again, I, periodically, it can be nice because you know what you're capable of. You know how to you know, gauge two to three reps away from that point um, in future. But for the general population, I'm not really going to be you know, recommending let's go to 100% every single set, every single day. You know, it, it just doesn't really make the most sense and this is especially true for stuff like crossfit where it's like oh well you know we just want to set the timer and we want to go for max reps like if you're literally doing that as if someone has a gun to your child's head like you're probably not going to recover fatigue management is not going to be great and throughout the week because you know you're literally blowing your load every every time you go into the gym you're literally having a near-death experience you know it's not great for overall fatigue management you know um but do you have anything to say that on that gary in terms of intensity and i mean proximity to failure with intensity and or i suppose just like the overall effort given do you have anything else to say on that yeah i think just quickly that like obviously we we've touched on it many times the fact that the closer you go to failure the more fatigue you're, you're going to experience from that, of course. But there's also the kind of the other obvious, but but often left unspoken part of that, which is that the closer you are to failure, the higher the risk of, of technical um, mess up or error too. Like for example, if you're doing your final rep in a bench press and you push up more with the left side than the right, then there's a non-zero risk that the bar kind of slips to the side and falls down in your chest. There's also the non-zero risk that as you push more to one side, that that one side becomes far more overloaded and increases your risk of injury disproportionate to just looking at the, the RPE. And that, you know, that's especially the case on, on certain exercises that you will see people go to failure on, like, for example, like sled leg presses or hack squats where the weight is literally down on top of you. Like you see people go to failure where they can't even perform the concentric without a spotter and they're left, you know, someone running across the gym to help them out of it. Like that's just absolutely unnecessary risk to be taking in the gym. You know, I completely understand it because I've done it, uh, especially when I was younger, as I said, not a very risk averse person. So that type of training like gives me a good kick. And that was always what I was drawn to. But from the perspective of considering your health and even what's best practice really for your results too, it makes no sense really to be taking sets like that all the way to failure. As a rule of thumb, like the safer the exercise is and the lower risk of catastrophic injury, the cooler I am with someone taking it to failure. You know, if you are doing a machine chest press and you fail concentrically, okay, you know, you just put the weight down or same on a lap pull down. It's not a big deal at all. But if it's uh, an overhead press or a jerk or a, anything where there's a risk of the weight landing on you, <laughs> clearly that's not as good an idea. Yeah, and that actually just goes back to the exercise selection in terms of like, if you're choosing risky exercises in general and you don't need to be doing that, and then you're also layering on like higher proximity or closer proximity to failure, like you're going to have a bad time regardless of who you are. Now that might be required for your sport. You know, if you're literally, you're a power lifter and you have to uh, at some stage get close to a max bench press, you know, and if you're training alone, like that's a riskier endeavor, but it's your sport and maybe the risk to reward ratio is you know, favorable for that for you. But if you're just a general population trying to improve your body composition, improve your health, you know, do you need to be, you know, benching to your max on that day when you have no spotter, you have no help in the gym or you're training at home? Yeah, probably not. Same with bodybuilding. Like if you're like, oh, I'm going to have to go to failure today. And you're like, my, you know, my shoulders are feeling a bit off. Like going to failure and picking a riskier exercise, like I know a bench press or something, you know, you, you're only one rep away from ripping your fucking pec off your, your sternum or your, your, uh, um, 
fuck your upper arm. Um, so like, why would you take that risk in that session and then ruin your entire like quote unquote bodybuilding career? Like maybe it's not ruined, but you know what I mean? Like you've now got a substantial injury that's putting you out for a couple of months all because you wanted to take a riskier exercise to failure. Uh, it, the risk to reward is just not there for the vast majority of people. And like Gary said, like the two of us, you know, we're pretty uh, non-risk averse. So we would probably do stuff like that, especially as we were younger and stupider. I would like to think we've uh, matured a little bit, but you know what I mean? Like for some individuals, you're going to take that risk to reward and go, yeah, that's a favorable risk to reward ratio. When in reality, it probably isn't, you know, you're probably not getting as much. Like I know stuff so, so I've done like, squatting you know literally close to failure at like you know five rep maxes with like you know fucking 200 kilos on my back and i'm like i am not built to squat all that was doing was contributing to fatigue of my fucking spine and potentially you know snap city and um, especially because like my ass sticks out so much when i'm squatting that there's no way for me to successfully squat or fail a squat and dump the bar backwards if i do that it's definitely landing on my spine because of the way my body is, uh, you know, put together. So I have to dump the bar forward. So it's a very risky maneuver. If I fail a squat, like I have to dump it over my head, you know? And so for me, what, like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why was I doing that? You know, but I did it, you know? So you have to factor in, it's like, okay, well, for some people, you're going to take that risk to reward ratio and, you know, call it good and be like, yeah, that's fantastic. But it's again, like Gary said, survivorship bias. I can say that because I got away with it, but I don't know what the repercussions are down the line. You know, maybe it's going to be a fact that I'm like, oh, I actually have degenerative disc issues or degenerative like hip issues or whatever, because of all that training that I did, you know, that I didn't necessarily need to do. And like, you might look back on that, you might be like Ronnie Coleman and he's whatever front squatting 800 pounds. And his only regret, regret is not doing three reps, even though right now he's in a fucking wheelchair, you know? Like realistically, that's probably more related to the fact that he has never eaten a vegetable in his life rather than the training he did. Like I would, I would probably contribute that to more of the risk factor for what he's experiencing right now and um, than the actual training. But still, the risk to reward ratio maybe it wasn't favorable for him, even though he's looking back at it now and going, Yeah, no, I wish I did more, you know? Um, so yeah, do you have anything else to say on that, young Gary? No, that's all good. Fantastic, right? So also with this and related to intensity is the discussion of volume. And if you are training for a specific sport, especially if you want to be the best at that sport, you're probably going to have to do higher training volumes. But if you're just someone that's looking for general health or general just improvement of yourself, like there's no reason to be training eight times per week, 12 times per week, 20 times per week, right? If you're a competitive athlete, you're going to have to do the amount of volume that it requires for you to get better right? That might require three training sessions a day, you know? So again, that is one area that people fail to realize and they try to copy what other people are doing and not actually, first of all, copy the recovery things that those other people are doing, intent drugs, um, but then try to do the same training volume. And it's just not going to be effective because they don't have the same recovery capacity, the same stress management, fatigue management, whatever. And they're also not aiming for the end goal, the same end goal. Now, does that mean that you don't push training volume? No, not at all. But you need to be more aware of like what's actually going to lead to the best results for you in this moment. Is it going to be doing more, you know, exercise or training sessions per week? Is it going to be doing more volume? Like is three sets enough for your goals versus five sets? Are you going to always be at the like 20 to 30 sets per muscle group per week? Or would you get better results by doing like less, you know, 10 sets or something, you know? And so we have to look at that overall volume. And that doesn't mean that, you know, at certain stages, especially if you're looking for, you know, physique improvement or maybe bodybuilding or whatever, you know, there's going to be times where your volume does creep up a little bit, creeps up a bit beyond your recovery capacity. But for the vast majority of people, you shouldn't really be staying at those higher volume thresholds. Now, again, sport, it's a different story. There's going to be time periods where you need to creep it up higher. You might need to sustain it higher for a longer period of time. But for the vast majority of people listening to this, you could probably get away with doing way less. And this is a little thought experiment for you to do when you're looking at your program design. Like if I said to you, you have to do the least amount of training that you could possibly do to still get the same results that you're doing, 
what would you change in your training program? Would you train less days? Would you, you know, train less exercises? Would you, like, what would you do if you're still trying to get the exact same or similar results? Because that should, you know, help you understand that all the stuff you do is not necessarily required. So there is obviously somewhere in this kind of minimum effective dose to maximum effective dose. And most people, you know, tend to at least stay, you know, closer to the maximum effective dose and they never get down to the minimum effective dose. But it's important to know where that minimum effective dose is because there's going to be periods of time in your life where, you know, stress is higher, you know, workload is higher, you know, you're not going to have as much time to get to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. So you're going to need to reduce training volume in general. So if you don't know how to do that and all you think is, oh, well, I need to be at, you know, 12 sessions per week to get results, like you're going to be up a fucking creek without a, a paddle, you know? So that is something to consider. Do you have anything to say on volume, Gary? Um, I guess just note it just on your final point there in terms of the minimum effective dose. Like I think when you begin to go through a period of time where you genuinely are forced to reduce your training volume, you actually learn that that level or at least the maintenance volume level is a lot lower than you'd expect. Um, even for me, that's something I've probably learned in the last two years, like since doing like obviously the pandemic and everything, uh, but also being more into jujitsu than weight training for longer periods of time. You know, I cut my training volume so much lower than I ever would have in the past and had have been quite surprised at being able to more or less kind of maintain my strength, like improve it in some cases, um, but even go back from periods of time where I've only been training twice a week in the gym and still notice that my strength has maintained and that my performance across multiple sets has maintained. Um, so that's been something that's been surprising for me. And I think something that most people report, like the vast majority of people will report that their level required for maintenance is so much lower than they would expect. Um, and that can sometimes tell you that maybe you are doing a bit too much. Like, are you wasting a load of time in the gym? If you can maintain at two days per week, but you're training six days per week and you're doing like 30 sets a session, like, are you sure all of that is high quality and actually needs to be done? Um, because again, I would argue that independent of injury risk and things like that, there is some degree of a trade-off in other areas of your life. If you're spending two hours a day, six days a week in the gym and not getting additional results from it, because if you've got a surplus, let's say of five hours that you could cut off that and still get the same results, then that five hours could probably be spent on something that would be far better for your relationships or for your kids or for your career or your nutrition. If you were able to cook nicer meals or whatever, enjoyment of life. And they're all positive things too. So I think that's something to, important to reflect on because I find that with our clients um, or my clients, at least that uh, it's very often the case that they can get away with uh, less than they think when they start to, you know, be efficient with the, the quality of their work. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, like this is something that you do learn once you are kind of forced to do less, you know, but uh, yeah, so I think that's nicely covered. There's only one last thing that I want to cover on this discussion. Obviously we could be here all day talking about the intricacies and nuances and whatever else, but there's only one big broad category that I want to discuss here, <clears throat> which is cardio. And this is something that if we're talking about general health, you probably want to be doing more aerobic cardio, especially than the vast majority of people actually do. Right. Like that's most people just don't do enough aerobic cardio. Right. So that's one of the things if you're doing sports, you're probably not even doing enough aerobic cardio. Then like it's very rare, unless you're talking about actual athletes that do enough aerobic cardio. Right. So, and that's especially true of the strength sports where people are just they just don't do any cardiovascular work whatsoever and it probably does limit their progression in general right so i would say cardio across the board is underutilized as a skill the only time it's probably overutilized is when we're talking about like endurance athletes and stuff and they probably bring it to the absolute limit and beyond of what is actually required to improve health and they're just doing stuff that's improving performance and um, which is you know fantastic and everything and again it's hard to fully decipher where that benefit you know stops because a lot of those individuals are also on drugs as you know like tour de france athletes and stuff it's like you know drugs are very prominent and um, so we have to consider that stuff we have to look into it for the vast majority of people i would say cardiovascular work 
is only going to improve their results in terms of what they're looking for. The unfortunate thing is that it just takes time. Oftentimes it's quite boring. Like if you do like 90 minutes of cardio, that's kind of just boring. Um, so you, know, you have to consider that stuff. Um, do you have anything to say on the cardio aspect? Because we've discussed it in one, it was the last episode, um, but I think the vast majority of people just underutilize cardio. Yeah, I mean, it works and it works fantastically. And, and that's kind of one of the, the things is that like it doesn't seem like spending 90 minutes where you're not necessarily that short of breath. Like, yeah, you're short of breath, you're working, you're sweating, but you're not killing yourself. It doesn't seem like that would be that productive. And it's certainly not as sexy as going in and doing a one hour, 30 minute like hit session where you're dying throughout the session. But it really does work, you know, it's for something that's quite low fatigue. If you have the time, I think there's a, a huge health and performance benefit to be gotten from doing um, those kind of longer, steady state uh, cardio sessions. You know, there, there's not too much else to it, really. From a health perspective, you absolutely should be getting it in. You know, the, the basic health recommendations are, you know, 150 to 300 minutes of um, moderate intensity exercise per week um then it's 75 to 150 of vigorous exercise i think a lot of people when they do their cardio they probably straddle between the moderate and the vigorous really um if you look at like the classification some people closer to vigorous but uh, the point still stands that like you should be getting at least 150 minutes of that type of cardio um per week before you even consider your resistance training from a basic health perspective and uh you're not getting that it's, it's worth trying to to factor that in that's and it's a lot like it's that's you know five 30 minute sessions per week or three 50 minute sessions per week and the vast majority of people are are not achieving that and I even find my own clients that it can be difficult to get people to that level so i think that it is a it is a big win a big area that could be exploited to try to improve your health long term um and i think because it can be achieved with relatively low levels of fatigue and it can improve your fatigue tolerance in life otherwise that i think that yeah it's it's worth doing if you have the chance yeah like as we discussed in the last episode it is relatively easy to increase this stuff but at the same time it still does require time and unfortunately time is something that is uh not exactly you know out there that we can just go oh yeah let's just create more time like we have work jobs etc to to do family other you know things and like if i didn't have jujitsu to do like yeah. i probably wouldn't hit the the target myself like i'm not going in to do an hour to 90 minutes four nights per week of cardiovascular conditioning fuck no you know, it's just it's just boring you know in my mind anyway you know and some people obviously love going for a run or doing whatever but you know wouldn't be me um but yeah that's all i really have to say on this obviously again we could be here all day discussing all the nuances but do you have anything else to say to wrap this up gary no that's it fantastic where can people find us as always guys we do have coaching spaces available so if you're interested you can get in touch information can be found below so if you'd like to pursue your own health and fitness goals with a member of our coaching team then do check that information out we also have a member site for coaches who are trying to improve their education so get involved if you're trying to enhance your ability as a coach and your background knowledge forming your decision making process we also have a lot of free content a lot 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 of free content so do be following along on triage method instagram is the busiest place we also have a youtube channel where you can watch excerpts from this podcast if you don't want to watch the full podcast episodes or certain episode didn't tickle your fancy but there might be a little excerpt in there that's of interest so do subscribe there uh do also follow the rest of our coaches so if you go into the triage method instagram and click the following section you'll see our coaches there and all of us put out individual content as well so do make sure that you're following um other than that we have an email newsletter it goes out every month so it'll be going out on monday again um for the november edition so make sure that you're subscribed if you're not already um and yeah, oh yeah this podcast released on monday so subscribe anyway doesn't matter. you've already subscribed yeah you should have already have subscribed so yeah that's everything fantastic anyway guys we will see you next week